Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. I'm Andy Schmidt, and today we're doing another testimony podcast here with Greg Fogarty. Greg is a friend of mine from Minneapolis, Minneapolis area here in Minnesota, and I'm going to let you introduce yourself in a second. But first, I just want to tell people kind of the rules around the testimony. And I think there's not really many, any rules at all. It's just kind of like Greg's going to share his story. I'm going to cut you off if I have any questions. And you're going to tell us uh, how you became a Christian, where you grew up, all that kind of stuff. So I think it would be good to start, though, right away with like, who you are, what what you do, and then we can kind of go go into other stuff. So, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, thanks, Andy. My name is Greg Fogarty, and uh, you know who I am. Um, I'm a father and a husband. Uh, my wife Jenny and I have been married uh, ten years, and we have three kids: Vivian, uh, age nine; Leo, age eight; and Emmett, age five. And we live in Cologne, Minnesota at Sunny Hill Farm. And so we'll yeah. talk more about that in a little bit. Dude, this podcast is brought to you by Sunny Hill Farms, baby. <laughs> Let's go. First optive sponsor, or maybe a second. But anyways, um, okay, so we're just going to do this testimony. You're going to kind of just take the wheel and go wherever you want with it. I think it's good to start where you grew up, your parents, where all that kind of stuff, and just go from there. I think you go from when you were born to when you became a Christian, and then from when you became a Christian to now. And we can kind of just discuss that you want to straight straighten out your mic a little bit yeah perfect all right let's do it well yeah perfect so um you know i was born in 1980 and i was born in edina uh, minnesota and then uh immediately uh hustled back to alaska where uh where my mom and dad were living at the time um and uh you know, they came to Minnesota to have me and then we went back. So the reason we were there is some kind of interesting circumstance um, to where my dad was actually at the time uh, a fugitive running from uh, charges that were coming based on this botched deal that uh, um, was one of, you know, many, many um, uh, drug smuggling operations that he had going for a very long time. And so um, in this particular case, there's... Uh, uh, such a, a case against him and some uh, people, associates that were, um, you know, uh, testifying against him uh, and talking uh, that he really felt he had nothing else to do but, but run and hide for a time. And so he did go uh, take my mom and uh, pregnant with me uh, to Naknek, Alaska. And he started doing uh, some commercial fishing there and uh, just operating uh, his life there, knowing that at some point, I suppose he would be found. And, um, my mom actually gave birth to my brother again in Edina at South Dale Fairview hospital where I was born. Um, and then quickly moved back to Alaska where it was the four of us. And so, um, you know, my brother's about uh, a year younger than me. And one day when we were there, uh, my dad was taken away by the DEA. And he was uh, then sentenced to 10 years. He ended up serving four and a half. And in the meantime, it took a while for my mom to get out of Alaska with my brother and I, but she did and went back to her uh, family in New Hampshire. So she's got brothers and sisters and uh, her mom was there. And so uh, how, how old were you when you when your dad was taken away? So let's say I was probably 
four years old. So were you like comprehending this or were you just like, this is weird or did you know what was I've going got, on? I've got a few memories of, of being there, you know, with him uh, as well as without him. Um, yeah, no, no reference point, you know, yeah. compared to what, you know, like I had no idea. Yeah. You know, Wendy and Myrna were the two um, Native American Eskimo uh, Indian friends that we had down the way. There was a a neighbor, there was a babysitter. My mom had a job at the bar. Um, you know, we rode around on a, on a three wheeler, a Honda three wheeler. And I rode on the back. So I'd hold on to my mom and I'd grab the, the kind of the gate kind of crate holder thing to hang on tight, you know, and she'd have my baby brother in the front. And that's how we get back and forth from daycare, how we get back and forth from friends' houses, wherever we were going. And then what we would do primarily is go down to the river uh, inlet in Naknek and throw nets at low tide. And then, you know, the fish would come and the salmon would get caught and then tide would go back down and we go out and pick fish. So there's pictures and certainly memories that I have of picking fish, gutting salmon, yeah. canning salmon eggs, certainly eating salmon eggs and smoked salmon and salmon, salmon all the time. <laughs> that was our that was kind of our sustenance, I guess, our main operation there. Um, and then all of a sudden I'm in New Hampshire one day, you know, it's from my perspective. Um, we're in a new place. We're in an apartment. We're at, we're living at Grammy's. We're living at Uncle Dougie's. We're living at, you know, and bouncing around. And then we finally found a place. In the meantime, my mom is petitioning and her, her brothers and sisters are petitioning here. We have a place for, you know, my father, Greg, uh, please let him out. Um, uh, I think one important piece here is that my mom became born again. So up to that point, you know, n neither of them were believers and my mom became born again. And so I think that plus the support and a pending job with, you know, my mom's brother's construction company all kind of led to him coming home after, you know, maybe only four years or so of his 10 year sentence. And then he was actually, you know, forced to live in New Hampshire for a 10 year period, some parole arrangement or something. Uh, and so, you know, whether it was like 1983, 84 timeframe, um, he gets out and, uh, I'm going to a small Christian school with my brother, uh, in Concord, New Hampshire. And, you know, my mom has a job. My dad's back. He's working. Is, I, is he a Christian at this point or does he become a Christian or what? He grew up Catholic. Okay, um, gotcha. And, you know, he's an altar boy and, and all that. And and uh, he's brought me to Mass a few times. When we go back to visit his mom in Belle Plaine, Minnesota, growing up, you know, once we finally got back out here as well. Uh, he has that in his background, but he he does not talk about Jesus as Lord or anything yeah. Uh, to that effect at all. Um, so, um, yeah, that was, a, there was a conflict there, right? So my, here's my mom now having, and I don't want to tell their story, uh, but they, they definitely, you know, were together coming, rising up in my dad's, you know, drug smuggling operation and all the hippie lifestyle that was going on in the mid to late seventies. And, you know, my mom and him actually met on a commune, uh, out here in the, in the Western suburbs of Minneapolis, uh, and then she started traveling with him, going on trips, spending time in Mexico and Colombia, back and forth. And, um, yeah, so that was, that was kind of their, 
uh, courting period, I guess. And then, right. And then, you know, they had a couple kids and my dad got in trouble. So, uh, my mom did probably find a rock bottom, as you can imagine that scenario. I mean, she followed him to Naknek, Alaska to live amongst the bears with a three wheeler and to start working on these salmon while pregnant in the river, right? Pregnant again, for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just all in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when she became born again, it stuck. Um, she had a lot of, um, maturing to do over the years, you know, things have looked different and back and forth. Um, but it stuck from that point, you know, um, she brought me to a, uh, a Billy Graham crusade in 1986. I went down front and got saved. I have the card to prove it. Uh, actually still, you know, I keep it in my work bag and, um, you know, she was trying to bring her father down front at Billy Graham and, you know, that didn't work out, but my mom has been, um, you know, certain in her faith, uh, after all, you know, for all these years and she's had her ups and downs too, but, um, yeah, so I'm going to this, going to this Christian school, um, conquer Christian is like six, seven kids in each grade all the way up to high school, you know? And, um, yeah, I was a happy young kid. I figured out how to do good at school and be a great Jesus following young man and, you know, looking for all the approval I could get. And I figured out how to get it. And then I was acting those ways. And, and do you think you were like playing the system a little bit or did, were you, were you like legitimate? Cause I, I grew up in the Christian thing too. And I felt like when I had a certain age, I was just playing the system. <laughs> did you feel like that? Or were you actually legitimately like, I'm, I want to do the right thing. I mean, there were times where I, I remember having such great joy and, you know, gratitude in my heart for, you know, whenever I would take action to help someone or follow directions, you know, like looking out for other people. And, you know, um, so I do remember actually having a, a bit of that experience where you kind of get into the flow of grace and, and, you know, so, so there's that, but at the same time, you know, just being so young and, and having been through so much, I didn't even know really what was going on. There are a lot of moments in my childhood, years that I just have no idea. Like how old was I when that happened? Where was I? Yeah. You know, my cousins will say, remember this, remember that? I don't remember that. You know, I was thinking about myself. I was thinking about, um, you know, my feelings, my thoughts, um, and, and certainly not really engaging much in, in the life around me, um, you know, for, for a lot of that period, you know, my dad's back and it's just fighting, fighting, fighting in the house. Um, unfortunately, you know, I never really established a great relationship with my brother. Um, you know, I did spend a lot of time, I guess, keeping him down, putting him down, um, to, I don't, you know, it's, it's one of these things like, was I, was I keeping him down so I felt a little better than, than last place or just better than zero or, I, you know, I don't know what it was, but um, that was, that's definitely a, a huge stain in my childhood and my life and, and something that, you know, I've prayed for redemption from, I've prayed for forgiveness for, um, you know, my brother and I uh, have a, a fine relationship today where we talk and, and there's open lines of communication and, um, you know, we can still visit one another. We're planning on visiting again soon. Um, but over the years it was, it was really, really, really hard for us to, to get connected, stay connected. And, and, um, but yeah, so I, I mean, at that time in my life, there was, um, uh, you know, some struggles going on, but my dad eventually, you know, kind of pulled it together a little bit, started his own construction company, had like three, four houses, um, that he was currently building at any given time, grabbing a project here and there. He had a snowplow business, 
you know, life was good. We were living in a great house. I had everything we needed, new basketball shoes included. And it was, it was good. Uh, the market crashed, uh, savings and loan scandal. Uh, some boomers might remember this one, but a uh, terrible time for people in new England, um, that, you know, my dad was leveraged out and, and it, everything just kind of, kind of got taken away simultaneously. We're, um, coming up on a point in time, I didn't know at the time, but where he could then move away from New Hampshire. So he had his plans in store to move back to Minnesota where his family's from, brothers and sisters, et cetera. So, um, you know, as far as what, what role Jesus had in my life at the time, honestly, I had no concept of a personal Jesus to me, of, you know, any sort of, um, any sort of healing or, or um, comfort that might come from the Lord. Uh, so you were like saved at the Billy Graham thing, but then Jesus was kind of just like this concept thing that you like knew was around, but you weren't really involved in. Yeah. 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 Certainly. It was not, it was not a part of my life and what I was thinking about or how I was approaching anything. It was just really, really fear-based self-centeredness, um, really scrambling, uh, to find some kind of approval, um, do you think that had like played a role like with your father being gone for for a long time trying to find approval that you would find you would have maybe found in your dad i mean i probably right probably i i certainly take a look at my sons and my daughter and and i do my very best to be for them what you know looking back i i you know think might have been helpful for me right if someone was like always there if someone was like fully aware of the struggles that I had, not that they would be there to fix them all or whatever, but that they would be in line, in line with me, aligned and in sync and understanding my feelings, good or bad. Right. Um, and of course there's the Lord who is available. Right. And I look back now, uh, after having gone through a number of different transformational time periods in my life with Christ and my relationship with Jesus that, you know, I look back on that and think, you know, what I could have done, uh, instead of, blocking it out or doing selfish, self-centered things is I could have hit my knees and prayed for my mom and dad as they were fighting in the other room, you know, uh, instead of building up maybe resentments left and right, my mom's right, my dad's right, you know, who's wrong, who's right, how can I, you know, get involved to fix this, you know, I, what I could have done, what I could have done is hit my knees and prayed, I didn't know really that that was probably the answer or anything close to that. Um, and so unfortunately for, I'm sure a lot of people, it's just hyper confusing. And that's just, uh, the nature of, of life off track, off and away from, from Christ at the center. There's any number of confusing, uh, perversions that can take place in my mind and the way I see things, the way I approach life, the things that I do. Um, yeah. And it, and it, it, uh, it showed up. I don't know. The hard drive spinning up here. Is it spinning up? Uh-oh. Something's happening in my laptop. Uh-oh. This is interesting. Should, I just, should we just keep going? I guess, yeah. <laughs> Something's happening in the laptop. Yeah. If you could hear that in the background, I'll edit it out. I don't know. <laughs> Dude, that's crazy. This has never <laughs> happened before. All right, whatever. You could, you could just keep going. I'll put this down here. Yeah, no problem. Um, so yeah, I mean, at that point in my life, it's, it's, you know, me and my brother, my mom and dad were in New Hampshire and, you know, it's just a lot of, you know, 
uh, a lot of fighting, a lot of wondering, is there going to be divorce? You know, you hear the word divorce, you, um, you know, it is a bit of a struggle. Uh, but as soon as I think legally, um, viable, we moved to, to Minnesota. And so, you know, uh, at that time in my life, I found basketball and became a kind of a nerd for basketball. I practiced it all the time. It was going to be my thing. Um, I was able to make the A team and get picked first and all those sorts of things. And, and, uh, it gave me a lot of the approval, a lot of the feelings that I was looking for, for sure. So that became my thing. My brother, not so good at basketball. So he's not cool. Anyone else. I mean, it was like the whole world revolved around me and what I thought was great. And that was the end of it. No one else really, it didn't matter what anyone else was doing or thinking. I wasn't open to learning. I wasn't, you know, yeah, no, that's listening to anyone. <laughs> that you're saying that because my testimony is like, when I found basketball, that was the same. It was like, everybody who's not in basketball is an idiot and basketball is it. <laughs> like, that's what I'm doing. I'm going to the league. Well, yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. And that's all I do all the time. So I can like, I see where you're coming from. It was like, anybody who's not playing basketball yeah. is wasting their time. Yeah. It's yeah. a great escape, really. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's good. There's virtues to, you know, different things you might find in sports and teamwork and all that's great. Yeah. All that's great. I'm sure it, it, it actually did teach me a lot in the end, but, but certainly I used it. I used it as a way to escape and, and to separate myself and to distinguish myself. I had a Jersey, right? I had a number. Um, you know, there were what certain, was it, what was your number? 22. 20 I was 20 but I did wear 22 in high school one year yeah unfortunately wow. yeah <laughs> not your number you didn't get your number no I right. didn't get my number no I got it too yeah, yeah. And I got the high school I got it yeah so yeah, yeah and I, uh um but yeah that it was a really really um kind of simple life in that way I, I didn't really allow myself to consider really anything else of importance um you know saw a lot of squares around me a lot of people that oh we're doing good in school and class and like doing their homework and you know getting dressed every morning and you know all these things i started to develop a bit of a callus towards uh things that appeared you know responsible and prepared and uh certainly holy and all that was beyond like you know getting dressed up and going to church was 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 not happening in our life um and so the way I, I had to rationalize that was that this, that was just not cool. Those people were fools, yeah. um, certainly for following around some dogma and listening to what someone else is going to tell them, you know, and I had to develop that, I think, in order to um, in order to carry on with such a simple and selfish worldview. Yeah. Um, and at some point, of course, you know, that breaks down. And for me and for me, it started breaking down right away when we got to New, uh, to Minnesota. Um, and high school came around and, you know, relationships with girls came around and uh, parties and and everything like that. I mean, I was uh, all in and uh, probably distracting a few really fine people away from their priorities and what their folks would probably would rather them do. And and and, you know, bringing a lot of uh, you know trouble into into my life, I started. Uh, you know, getting arrested uh, as a uh, as a junior in high school it was my first time I got arrested. I was I snuck out of the house because I had to get back to the party because I knew that it was going to be way more fun way later. And you know, I had a tail light out, but you know, I figured I could just roll the dice, and I didn't work, and blah blah blah. And you know, so I, I started 
seeing some of the negative consequences right away at basketball taken away from me, suspended my senior year to open up the season. I missed a trip to St. Louis. They went down there, played well. I was a starter. They went down there, played well without me, you know, came back and I'm, you know, you, know, you got to earn your spot coming now. off the bench yeah. for a couple of weeks right. until I can, you know, put that in the past. And, and, uh, you know, of course there's everything that you do to kind of maintain, you know, your academics, you know, as best as you can. But it's, I was certainly not learning anything or preparing for college or anything like that <laughs> right. at all. Were your, were your parents realizing some of this maybe? Were they, were they seeing this at all or was it kind of just like... Yeah, for sure. Right. Like they, and, then, and then it was, you know, my brother's a year younger than me and following along, you know, in, with his own circle of friends in the same sort of way. Yeah. Um, you know, we went to a really big high school, so it was easy to kind of have our own little pockets of people. And then, uh, but both headed in the same direction off, off track. And so, yeah, and there was a lot of fights about that power struggle in the house to the point. And we just stopped listening to my dad. One day, um, one day his sister called up my aunt and she just wanted to talk. And, you know, back in the day, there's like caller ID, but there, you know, you don't know who it is. You just know the number that's coming in. And in addition, you know, you just pick up the phone. So I was home alone picked up the phone my aunt starts talking and talking and talking and gets around to telling me that you know it's really great to see that we're doing so much better considering that my dad was in jail all those years blah 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 and I'd never even heard that before in my life I didn't know that it was a secret and I'm 15 you didn't know that your dad was in jail no where did you think he was working fishing (laughs) really you know wow he was working and fishing and then that was the story and it was fine like nobody knew my cousins our age you know my dad's brother was all involved my dad's cousin was uh involved and ended up telling talking and he's lived in panama ever since on a plantain farm uh since way back in in the 80s just never come back to uh to see anybody you know and so yeah there was a it was and it was a big secret to us until that phone call and then here's my mom and dad now fighting superheated all the time my dad's drinking and not going to church and my mom is evangelizing in this really strange way where she's yelling and and forcing and screaming and praying and you know there's a lot of sometimes you know sometimes it can get quite it can get quite confusing and perverted really when you're off track like that so so you mean like evangelizing like where my dad when he became a christian he would go downtown madison um on like state street and like madison's big party school and he would go there and on like friday saturday nights he would like do like street evangelism yeah kind of like crazy but like is that what your your mom was on my mom's gone and done a few things like that in her life she went to italy where she was from and did some kind of like like pantomime evangelism in the street with like a group of others to act out these Christian kind of things. Right. So she, she, she can get out there and do all sorts of stuff. When I talk about her evangelizing in the wrong ways, I mean, she's basically like praying for my dad to get in so much trouble and pain that he wakes up and comes to, uh, faith. And, you know, he has held that against her, I think ever since that she was praying for more of his demise and, and, uh, and I mean, that's, I don't know if I, I don't know if that's like biblical that we should do that, but sometimes that is what God does to people to get them on the right track. I don't know if we should pray for that. But yeah, I, I know what you're saying. That's maybe that's a way to pray. I don't know. My mom actually growing up, she used to she would always tell us, Your sins will find you out and she would always 
she would pray like god if there's anything that andy aaron or austin are doing can you like reveal it and everything would explode that week she would be afraid to pray because yeah. it would just explode so there is some like validity in that yeah that type of thing you know yeah and and it, it is true certainly that people do bounce off the bottom uh you know yeah. when they when they turn it around it's usually like you kind of get your butt kicked a little bit right or it hurts and then oh okay i'm not gonna do that again right yeah. so but for some of us you know we're, we're we can run harder maybe uh got a huge heart uh and and you know extremely selfish and self-centered and we're just going to see if we can actually do it if we can be the one to to take over the world right <laughs> and it's uh you know the world always beats it's always beating me back down and th- i mean it started right away and and when we talk about like you know when i was about 15 16 right in there um you know me and my friends were bringing alcohol into the house and telling my parents that they could just kind of do whatever they wanted but we're not going to stop and that was um really a tough point for my dad because he didn't have a leg to stand on now he's like a some new newly found out criminal plus he's you know just as you know he's still playing with toys like high school kids trying to get some beers in when he can you know what i mean it's yeah, like right it's he's it, gonna tell you to stop you're gonna be like what are you doing talking the same about thing. Yeah, what are you talking right. about so yeah you know we were we were just completely over it and we took over the house and that was it and my mom was really really sad for a long time my dad left so he just one day my mom and my brother are out of town they're coming home on a plane that night. I think I was watching the opening ceremonies for the 1996 Summer Olympics on TV in my room. My dad walks in. He's got literally like has a suitcase in his hand. And he just basically tells me, he's like, you're going to have to pick up your mom and your brother tonight because I'm leaving and I'm not coming back. And, you know, I remember putting up a little bit of a fight like, dad, like, what are you thinking? You can't believe you're telling me this because he was never one to make any kind of a threat or anything. Like he was more of a quiet type. Like, you know, things get really bad. He just gets really quiet. Yeah. Uh, So when he came in and told me that I didn't doubt him for a second and I really tried to like convince him, you know, you know, dad, you shouldn't do this, you know, give it a chance or something. But it was like, I I could just tell it was game over. I literally, he had some suitcase in his hand. It was the, the weirdest thing. And so, he left. I went and picked up my mom that night, and that was really rough for her to see me there alone, not with my dad. Yeah. And, and that, he, like, when you say he left, it was just kind of like he was just done? He left. I mean, you know, we're, we're communicating over the phone. He's coming back over to the house to drop off some money, you know, for me and my brother yeah. and, and whatnot. But he's gone. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and he's, you know, call it like hanging out with his brother um, some friends and he's taking traveling positions with his job. So he's out of town working on site anyway. And so that's what he basically did for, for many, many years. He'd live in a, in a construction, you know, work out of the construction trailer and live in a, in a trailer park nearby, like a campground, you know? And so he was just always traveling and, and doing these construction projects. Um, and, and yeah, so then it was me and my mom, and my brother at the house and, and we, we're doing whatever we wanted. And my mom was going to church and praying for us and doing her best. And, um, but we were kind of in a sense, we we're on our own. I mean, she's there doing great under terrible circumstances, you know, working, doing real estate, trying to keep jobs and stuff. And my dad was providing from afar a little yeah. bit. Um, but yeah, just getting through, trying to get through high school and get through school. You know, my brother and I had such a falling out that he went and lived with uh, my aunt and uncle uh, for a time and went to a different high school for a year. 
uh, because he could not live in the house, uh, he decided, um, you know, with, with what was going on, uh, with my treatment of him and my mom and the, just the way the house was, he was like, no, I'm going to go. And he did, and he, and he did that for a year. And then, you know, when I graduated, um, you know, my mom had, had been um, in conversation with the basketball coaches at Bethel College at the time, Bethel University now for, you know, they were recruiting me, not really, they didn't know who I was or what the situation was. And my mom started telling our story and it's just such a, a story just ripe for redemption, you know, just ripe for redemption that, that they decided to, to make me make, potentially like one of their pet projects, I imagine, right? Like this guy is not Bethel culture. I'm not coming in, like I'm not a pastor's kid. I'm not even like a, I don't even go to church. Yeah. Um, you don't want to be a pastor. I'm not <laughs> for any of that. I'm not coming here looking for a wife. I already have a girlfriend and we're doing fine, living like adults, don't worry about it. It was terrible, yeah. you know? And uh, um, I remember one day, you know, he kept calling and calling. He wanted my commitment. He wanted my commitment that I would come in with no other college options no plan to like do this if nothing else no plan b no nothing like i didn't even really have a job at the time yeah um i kept pushing him off and pushing him off and then one day i wanted to get out of the house so bad and i was on the phone with him like fine i'll go i'll go to bethel all right he's so happy right and i skipped welcome week (laughs) i skipped well i didn't meet any of my roommates right I show up after welcome week after everyone knows one another and they've got all that great head start and everything. And I do it on purpose. I'm there, I'm there to be different, to be an outsider, to be, you know, maybe so much smarter. My logic is so much smarter than yours. Uh, you guys are sheep following around doing what you're told. Congratulations. Right. I think it blows my mind. I didn't know a lot of this stuff. And then like me and you were like, the exact same person <laughs> in a lot of ways because everything that I did all the time and even still sometimes just to be like, I'm not going to do as you sheep do. You mm-hmm. guys are pathetic. Yeah. And like you like go to things late or you don't show up to things on purpose just to get like a, bit, a little bit of an F you to yeah, everybody right. else just for no reason, just yeah. because. Yeah. Just because I'm definitely not going to do what you tell me. Exactly. And and that's how I've been. Yeah. And, and when you know, and then classes start. Oh my gosh. It's so overwhelming now. Like I have not even done high school. My high school coach and I sat with my math and English and science teacher privately to arrange for my eligibility to play basketball. This is how I made it through junior and senior year of high school. This is the only, and Bethel didn't, I think validate any of that. I think I, I literally think I was just kind of passed through. I remember the admissions process was like nothing like, um, truly, truly a gift I didn't even understand. Right. And, um, I could have, should have started, you know, doing, but I didn't, I wouldn't, I was still hanging on to all my old ways, my girlfriend, my parties, my high school friends, everything was off campus. Like I was not getting involved at all. Um, you know, basketball, uh, was still really the only place where I found that sort of approval that I was looking for. Uh, I really enjoyed being on a team, having teammates and, um, then unfortunately I ended up getting a couple of tickets in college as well and basically putting myself out of eligibility for sports, out of eligibility for school. So I kind of had to pick myself back up again and I was, I was getting really, really low. And so here's, you know, my girlfriend, my team, the number on my Jersey, all this stuff is falling apart. Right. And it's, and, and I, it's cause I'm, you know, drinking and doing drugs and partying and I won't stop. And 
I tell myself I'm going to stop. I wake up. I'm like, I'm going to stop. Like, that was stupid. I feel terrible. It's over. And then by four or five o'clock, I'm like, well, that was kind of an overreaction because actually one or two isn't going to hurt anybody and it would make me feel a lot better right now. Yeah. Right. So I ran that cycle for so, so long and it's just, it's just a death spiral down and it's, you know, it reveals really kind of the nature of, of, of me and my body. I think, um, being an addict, right. Being an alcoholic, yeah. um, in, in a, in kind of a biological way, I do believe there's something going on in some of our minds and bodies that at a certain point, you, you kind of cross over to this hopeless state where not a drop of alcohol is a safe bet, uh, for, for someone like me. And so, you know, entire abstinence is really my only, my only hope. So at this point in time, I, I, I'm living off campus. All I really want to do is get back to Bethel and get back on the basketball team. And it's like, I was on probation and then they don't really want me to come back. And I decide, you know what? I remember thinking clearly, how could all these people be wrong? How could all of these happy people not actually be happy? And they're all just pretending to join up and sing at Vespers on Thursday nights together. Like, why don't I give this a chance? And I prayed for the first time in a, for, in a real way in my life. I prayed to God and I just said, you know, show me, show me who you are. Um, and give me, give me the strength to, to pray and to welcome, um, you and your Holy spirit in my life. And, um, something crazy happened to me. I had just, I had just, uh, gone through my theology 100 class and found a book that I liked from a super controversial professor back in the day, Greg Boyd at Bethel. He wrote this book that was like, you know, totally flipped theology upside down called open theism. And it was just fantastic new look at, you know, God as more the, the master chess player than the master clockmaker, let's say. So no, I'm not doomed to this Calvinistic certain say, right, future, but more, you know, God is alive and well and with me here, knowing all possibilities, depending on the choices I make, there's a new realm of possibilities that God is certainly aware and in control of, but that I'm also alive and that this is also a real experience that I'm having. And, uh, I went really, really deep into that. I was listening to, you know, the old school, it would be like, tapes, right? It'd be sermons on tape and, you know, pop those in the truck and, you know, listening to sermons all the time and talking with my friends about Jesus. And I wrote a letter to Bethel and they welcomed me back for my testimony of, of, uh, you know, my encounter with the Holy spirit during those down times when I was, um, when I was down and out and they said, yes, come on back off probation, get back in school, get back on the team. Everything's great. I am completely sober. I'm running, you know, God is good. You know, my girlfriend at the time, um, and I had just started living right, uh, for a period of time. And it was, uh, it was truly a miracle. I'll never forget it. And then I decided that of course, you know, it would be better as if we could have a toast. And so we would, you know, then I started partying again and it took me down all the way down. And, uh, I found myself basically where I couldn't hang on to my spot on the team. Uh, and then I, uh, chose not to really be part of college anymore. And, um, you know, I started working and I ended up with a sales job in it and I was getting tickets and on house arrest and, you know, riding the bus to my tech sales job. And, um, you know, everything was just, just dismal in my life, uh, living alone and, 
you know, that ended up putting me to a place where, um, you know, I had to decide, am I going to move back home with my mom? You know, and I had no other choice. I moved back home with my mom and she was ready to like, get, you know, get me back on my feet and out of the house and all this stuff. And, you know, she was living in a, in a condo at the time and, and, uh, you know, her friend's son had recently got sober completely. And that was a like really odd thing to do. Um, no one really heard about that before, not in our family, yeah. you know? Um, and so, you know, they colluded and said, well, we have to have him call Greg because Greg's in trouble. And he was, so when he called and I knew and loved this guy, I mean, we used to party together, you know? Uh, uh, he went to St. Thomas and back and forth. He, was, he did soccer, it was his thing. And we had a very similar story. Uh, and all those struggles. And when he called me, I had faith that he's not just uh, walking the line or doing what he's told, you know. Yeah. He's a real guy and I know him. Yeah. And um, so I went and met with him and ended up moving in with him. And this is in spring of 2005. And I lived with him for, you know, three years. And we just, we went to meetings every day. And, uh, and AA was a really, really uh, special uh, thing in my life at the time. It got me on my feet so where I can be places on time, you know, dressed appropriately, uh, totally sober, right? Uh, I would take commitments and then I would meet them. And little things like that started to pile up and it gives you real self-esteem. You're doing esteemable things left and right. You're placing phone calls to the new people that you've met and wishing them a nice day. And life is like uh, on the sunny side again. Uh, there's no Christ, certainly. Uh, we're overdoing it on everything except those substances you're not allowed to do, yeah. right? So, you know, we're staying up late. We're, the, the laptop stopped buzzing. I don't know what's going I'll on. I'll talk the laptop. I'll <laughs> talk the hard drive. Yeah, yeah we did it. Yeah. We did it. Uh, so, but yeah, and we're, you know, life is great. Like work is going well. You know, everyone's dressing nicer. The cars get nicer. You're part, you upgrade your apartment. Next thing you know, you're in, you know, so we're in Minneapolis and, and having a great time yeah. and um, so great. We both kind of mature out of uh, that, that sort of living. You know, he buys a house. Uh, you know, we've got all sorts of a, a whole group of friends built up around us. People are starting families and, and um, you know, Rocky, uh, who, 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 who uh, helped me out in that case, he's, uh, he's introduced me to his cousin. At some point he felt, you know, uh, enough confidence in me that, that he would be willing to do that. Right. And so, um, you know, Jenny and I, uh, his started, cousin, his cousin's is a female. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. His cousin, <laughs> his cousin, Jenny. Sorry. Yeah. Thanks Andy. His cousin, Jenny, uh, my wife is, um, is who we met, who I met then during that stretch of time, you know, um, my career was taking off. So I traveled the country. I went to San Diego for a year. I went to Boise, Idaho for a year. I spent, you know, a year and a half in Fargo, North Dakota, chasing promotions and more pay for my company and more responsibility, more employees, right? Like is more revenue in that location. Maybe if I'm in charge, you know, it, it's all going to look great on the resume and chasing it, chasing it, chasing it down. I ended up leaving uh, a company to, to join another company so that I could get closer to Minneapolis where Jenny wanted to live. Uh, she was not willing to move to Fargo. Uh, she almost moved to Boise. It's really beautiful there. But um, uh, she wasn't willing to move to Fargo. So I had to take a new job with a new company uh, in order to move closer to, to be with her. And we got engaged. Um, and then we got married. And Vivian's on the way. And Vivian's almost born. 
and we're living in our house in St. Louis Park and life couldn't be better. Um, so I decide to take a drink and within six weeks, I, well, within like two weeks, I couldn't hide it any longer. And then within six weeks, the ultimatum came to where like, this is either over or you do something drastic. So I went to treatment and I went to the retreat in Wyzetta. And there I met a guy who, um, helped me transform again. And, and he, he did so by revealing to me for the first time in any of those treatment AA recovery settings, Jesus Christ. And, and what he, what he did for me was, was he brought scripture into, you know, my prayer and meditation. He brought, um, Christ and his redemption, um, back so that, you know, my heart could heal. And he, and he introduced me to the Catholic church and the, uh, the sacrament of reconciliation. He introduced me to going to mass and, and, uh, the Eucharist and, some authors that, um, that I had never heard of or known before that, that really helped me. It's like Thomas Merton would be one. So contemplative prayer, um, is something that I ended up getting into during that stretch of time. Um, you know, you've got, uh, uh, Archbishop Sheen, uh, who used to have a TV show back in like black and white days, yeah. you know, and they'd sit down and teach the kids, logic and everything under Jesus, Mary and Joseph on the blackboard and, um, you know, wearing his whole garb, uh, on TV. So I, I would get into a lot of that and a lot of his writings and talks. And it was, it was transformative for me in a huge way, um, to where I was, you know, going through this practice of identifying, searching for and identifying, shining light in my heart to find, uh, the most venial sin, um, in order to recognize it as such and turn it in to the father. Um, and going through that process of confession and going into the confessional booth in a Catholic church, I'm unconfirmed. This man who brought me there brought many, many people into that, that weren't confirmed Catholics to the point he was actually, um, um, call it ratted on or whatever to the, to the local archbishop in St. Paul or whoever. Uh, who actually commented on it that it sounds like the Holy Spirit's moving and so we're going to leave that alone. Like we're not going to keep unconfirmed Catholics out of the confessional. That This is a place for everyone. And and um, yeah, it was hard to do that. It was really, honestly, it was really, really hard to do that, to go actually step in there and and get on my knees and do the sign of the cross with the priest across the screen and go through that um, that dance and that you know, that conversation so many times. Um, but it, it created such a, a positive force in my heart. Um, it's like and, the, you're talking about like the, pre, like pre, almost the practice of vulnerability with another human being, basically where you're just like, I got to tell this person my sins and I don't want to tell this person my sins. And that was, yeah, that's interesting. I, I that's like something that I've always, I've struggled with too. Cause it's like, you don't want to, I think for people like us who are always trying to be different from everybody else, you have to put on this like facade that's like that you have no weaknesses and to be vulnerable and confess your sins is it, it feels like a weakness, but in Christianity it's actually a strength, but you have to have a complete mind flip. And so that's interesting that you're, that mm -hmm. you're saying that. 
Yeah, I mean, it forced me to to kind of detach from myself completely and identify with, you know, the soul and the spirit and, and, and really understand more about, you know, what I am, who I am, where I came from, you know, and, and uh, when you, when I identified those attachments in my life, it, it, it started to allow me to see really just how comprehensive the attachment is, how desperate I am for approval, how desperate I've always been for approval. Um, this is something that we, of course, already have. Yeah. And so I'm going to go out and try and get something that I already have. I'm going to go try and achieve happiness. I need to accomplish joy. Uh, all you need is love. Like, okay, I need to go get that. Like, I, I'm at a deficit. I need something. You know, um, you know that's, mis- that's a misplaced uh, thought process. I don't I think, think that's that. crazy that you found part of that through the Catholic Church because the Catholic, like, I, I mean, I've researched, and I, I'm not a huge fan of the Catholic Church, but I think, like, it's just crazy that God has used that in your life because it's like, when I think of the Catholic Church, I think of what you just said, like that it is like a workspace. You have to find this. You have to achieve this. You have to achieve that. And you're like, but in your circumstance, in your situation, actually God used the Catholic Church to teach you the opposite uh, in, in confession and that kind of thing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and from that standpoint, too, I look at all the, call it the dogma, the ritual, uh, the imagery, and, and all of that. And I can easily be tempted, uh, to look at that and think, you know, these are idols, right. Et cetera. This is a, uh, undue ceremony. Uh, I, at this point in my life, I consider it a celebration and an act of, uh, adoration. Um, truly, truly a celebration of what Christ has done. And similar to placing the word of God, you know, uh, the book on your cheek, you know, the way Brian talks about, I, I liken that to sitting in front of uh, something wonderful like an image of the Mother Mary and to consider what she did and that she said yes. And, and, you know, and to sit and look at that, you know, in, in the past, yeah, I, I, I was so turned off. Oh, I knew that the Catholic Church was evil, right? I already knew that, right? And then here I am sitting with this man and going through and, and shedding tears over this uh, new heart that, that I, that I found in, and, and, uh, and then I, I find myself, you know, using those mechanisms to, to just create this sort of, you know, grace and, um, in my life, you know, I, I think you're right. I think it's easy to throw, throw the baby out with the bathwater. And so like, I think about, there has been like a ton of like beautiful things that the Catholic church has done. And I like one, one of my favorite things and like, look, just so people that are hearing this can listen, like uh, just for me, this is your story. But for me, like, yeah, I think the Catholic church is more bad than it is good. That's just my opinion of it. And we, we, I, we could do a podcast about that sometime. But I think that one of the great things I've, I saw them do during the counter-reformation time period um, was that the Pope wanted wanted scripture to be more accessible to people. He wanted it to be more um emotional and relational with people. So the Catholic church started, um, hiring artists and uh, one of my favorite artists is Caravaggio and it started and Caravaggio would paint biblical, uh, stories as pictures. And then 
instead of like making the characters in the painting like the what he would think that like Jesus actually looked like or Peter or Paul actually looked like he would take people that he saw walking the streets of Rome um, and and put them into these pictures to connect people with the scriptures and and those those are some of my favorite paintings I've ever seen and it's a result of the Catholic Church recognizing art as a way of portraying the gospel to people I think it's something that they that Christians in general nowadays just are so terrible at doing, like putting art into scripture. And it's something that I like really appreciate about the Catholic church that I think helped, you know, change my perspective on the gospel in a way too, that kind of in what you're talking about and like, you know, think what you want about the Catholic church, but God's going to use what he's going to use to get people where he wants to get them. Mm -hmm. And so nothing in the world is going to be perfect. Right. And certainly there will, you know, anyone who's actually kind of zeroing in on something good is going to be attacked. Right. It's going to be attacked in every which way, uh, from within, uh, attacked from, from the, uh, you know, uh, there's going to be people that turn, you know, whatever. So, um, yeah, I had to read, I, I read a book, Rediscovering Catholicism. And, you know, it was like free on the shelf in every Catholic church between, you know, 2010 and 2019 or something. And yeah. maybe it's still there on the shelf at every single Catholic church. I don't know, but it, it actually did a really good job for me to, you know, drop those resentments and misconceptions um, and the contempt prior to investigation, which is something I you know, picked up along the way in, in, uh, in AA as well. It's that, you know, and that's why I happen to be very, very open-minded about really so many different topics. I'm willing to, to hear anything. Like it's, nobody's stupid out of the gate. Uh, so let's, let's hear you out. And so uh, it's allowed me, I think, to get... Um, to mature greater and greater uh, in 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 ways of faith and how I look at the Bible and how how the Bible hits me it's always it's always brand new again and I know that's real for a lot of people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm 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 always waiting for your for you to segue yeah, into <laughs> into the um, foundation of Bitcoin yeah right. <laughs> how the Catholic Church led you to Bitcoin yeah or something. it is it is no. it's always right there on the tip <laughs> of my tongue yeah nah, we can talk about that at the end we can talk about Bitcoin but what okay so where were we you, you're going to the you're going to the Catholic Church you're learning about confession it's there's those resentment but you're realizing like that the problem was really with you and not with everybody else. And so then what happens? Oh yeah. And then life gets absolutely amazing on fire. Everything at work is going great. Relationships are on fire. My, you know, Jenny and I are never better. Um, and I figure, well, you know, as long as I keep going to confession, I guess I've kind of figured out this other mechanism for how to operate. Let's have a toast. (laughs) And yeah, that last. And then, you know, I, it was different that time. Technically, you know, it didn't take me down right away because I wasn't doing that for relief from such a terrible monster inside, such a, such a mountain of anxiety inside that needed a little bit of liquid relief. Um, you know, I didn't really have all that anxiety. And so I was just going to act like a normal person that I saw who does have drinks from time to time. Um, but again, I don't, believe that my body is the same anymore. And I do think that, um, that something happens, especially in my mind. Once I take a drink, the obsession to drink more is, is something that, um, I cannot run away from. I can't turn it off. I can't get away from it. So, um, there's something that's sin. Like even if you've been redeemed and healed from something, 
it doesn't mean that you don't it doesn't mean that you can just ignore it like sin is far more powerful than i think people in the church especially in america we want to pretend like sin is not that big of a deal like you know it's it's out to murder you and so i think like like you're right it's like you toy around with it a little bit but it's always going to come back and eat you and yeah yeah exactly exactly and 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 i think you know in, in at least in my life i see you know jesus has been chasing me down you know running after me yeah. and and um you know as i as i try to run away again you know as i try and escape again um he's always he's always right there yeah. um uh, to bring me back. And, and for me, in order to overcome those deadly obsessions, it, it takes like supremely powerful transformations, right? I need, my whole mind needs to be renewed. Um, my, my, the way I'm, I'm reacting to life needs to change, you know, at its root, at its foundation. Uh, and so I, I can testify that I've been, I feel like I've been so many different personalities over the course of my life, right? There's a, there's a root essence of me, I think, in there somewhere, but I've shown up so different at so many different times, and it's because of the work that Christ is doing in my life to continuously bring me more towards his heart, and it's been a super bumpy ride, you know? Um, uh, even, I think, at like a, one of those spiritual mountaintop peak experiences, like, like shedding tears of joy in the confessional booth, uncovering sins that I had ignored you know, from my childhood, things yeah. that, that are, that are truly, truly bothering me, um, yeah. that I wouldn't even have looked at as sins. Like, no, that happened to me. No, he did that to me. Right. I was attacked. I was abused. Right. I was abandoned. You know, I've, I've, I've ventured down that road and I don't find joy there identifying with those things at all, at all. That's just more pain. That's just more pain. So I've had to completely flip my understanding from that victim yeah. to to the one in charge of my life you know i'm making all my own decisions i you know this is what i get this is what's showing up right now i've asked for this right all of this and so okay. well uh, ultimately like you you had to like recognize those sins those things that happen to you the victimization and like to some extent, Jesus went to those places with you rather than you going to those places by yourself, which is, I think like when you talked about like you, you do like your story is like everything went great. And then I took a drink mm -hmm. and everything went great. And then I took a drink <laughs> over and over and over again. And it's like when you're taking the drink, it's like you're going back to those places by yourself. And when you go back to those places by yourself, you're, you're going to just create more pain. And I think like what I guess what I'm hearing, you can tell me if I'm wrong, is that like Jesus kind of took you there and he was like, let's go there together. Let's heal the wounds so that you don't have to go back there by yourself. You go back there with me, you know? And he's, and I can tell you that he was there because I should have been dead left and right. And I wasn't, yeah. you know, uh, it should be way worse than that yeah. actually, but it's not. You know, I don't have any tremendous scars. I'm not maimed. I'm not handicapped. I haven't done any of those things to other people, fortunately, right? Um, all of those things could have happened, right? They have happened to people. Um, um, but Christ is, is preparing me for this to here today uh, and whatever is to come, you know, and I'm grateful right now and in a sober mind state and able to, um, and able to appreciate that the um you know 
uh, working with um, this in my life, this alcoholism has, has been um, has been there all along. Truly, if I if I would have had a drink at age seven or eight, oh, it would have been the greatest thing that could have ever happened to me. That's actually what I needed back then was that sort of relief, right? But instead, my heart was calloused and calloused and calloused to the point now, you know, you know, you have a drink and it's it's like your entire outlook on the world completely changes, yeah. right? That's that's not what a glass of wine is supposed to do for people, right? <laughs> and so to be in that volatile of a position uh, forces me to, on a daily basis, you know, you know, wake up and, and understand my mission uh, and, and understand, you know, that I submit to Christ. I hit my knees. I pray, um, you know, that he would work in my life, that he would build with me and that I would do his will uh, in the world as to the best of my ability, right? Um, yeah, coming out of this, uh, you know, this experience with Catholicism, um, you know, I've got, you know, a son and a daughter now, another one on the way, and I'm, I'm kind of lightly, you know, acting as if I'm not an alcoholic anymore. I'm drinking here and there, you know. Uh, family seems fine with everything so far because, you know, it, it was such a stark difference for what took place. It might even be cured. You know, maybe that's old news now. Uh, and, and gone. And so kind of people are kind of on board. Right. And, and, um, yeah, it starts to, to get really bad, but I have to hide it. And then it gets, then it gets so bad. I can't hide it. And then there's ultimatums again about, you know, whether or not I'm going to keep my relationship with my family, of course, and, and for good reason, right. I mean, there's no place for that in any kind of home, uh, for that sort of behavior, the, the kind of distrust that it creates and resentment that, just gets harbored between husband and wife and children and in-laws and it's just uh it's just a mess and so um you know for me what happened was uh about five years ago gosh what day is it today my goodness in two days it'll be five years since um i had a drink and uh it was one of those things where God just performed a miracle. I think he's got something else going on. And I think that, you know, Jenny, especially my wife is a very, very important part of that. And I do think there's a, a huge purpose for my children and for our family. And I think God just kind of, uh, when I was ready, when I was in enough pain and when I had made enough mistakes, um, uh, that it was pretty obvious that, that things needed to change again. He lifted that obsession for me. One day I was obsessed on nothing more than getting another drink, protecting the drink after that hiding the drink after that so in case I was sabotaged on the first and second I always had enough like seriously it was like this completely dominant force in my life um and then you know so this this person has this story about me this person has this story about me the truth is x and you know uh they can't really get me for much of that but if they could you know then I'd have this story and it was just like this obsession right and it's all about making sure that no one gets between me and a drink um yeah. Yeah. And, and then one day it was gone. It was gone. And I, I prayed for it, uh, for some time. And I, and then, and then one day the obsession was lifted and I recognized it because the obsession had been lifted in the past. I said, Oh my gosh, this is another chance. Yeah. God is giving me another chance right. right here. And 
So I started taking actions in my life, uh, and, and, and God started orchestrating a number of, you know, bigger motions in my life. And the, you know, like my employer got a new investor and then they went under. And so I was let go. And then in that desperation of not having a job, I had to reach out to my network in a way that I never have before. Uh, and then, uh, I ended up, you know, finding out that this person in my network was such a great Christian and he knew of this great Christian company that was looking for a guy just like me as it happened, you know, right at that time. And he made the introduction. I get this job at a company to where I'm the sober guy. This is a sales job with no drinking gigs. This is a sales job with no happy hour pressure. You know, we're not going to Vegas for the conference. This is perfect. And these are like Christian men leading this company. And there's core values at this company that are uh, essentially, you know, um, you know, Christ and, and, uh, uh, what a gift, what a tremendous gift. I never thought I'd ever even find a, a organization. I didn't think it would exist. Like you're talking about a bunch of capitalists getting together and they also, they're like following Christ, but they're, they're also trying to crush the competition and get sweet margins on all their yeah. deals. Like, how does this work? Right. So, but these guys, I, I think they figured it out yeah. and there are plenty of great Christian companies. I and mean, there's nothing wrong with capitalism and all that. And it's, you know, a, the side story here is that I have flipped completely from, you know, what I was in high school, college and beyond as a Dem and a lefty. That, and yeah. oh, my gosh, probably to actually I cover for that. my own sins. Really? Yeah. And then, you know, 2015, 16, I get sober for this next time. And then, you know, everything that was happening in 15, 16 and whatnot was just I was so attracted to the right and for good reasons. And I found people like Ben Shapiro and I found, you know, other Jordan sort Peterson. of conservative. I, I found yeah. Jordan Peterson mm-hmm. and I and other conservative uh, thinkers and and, yeah. and and it all started clicking and making sense. And I'll never totally. go back. And it's yeah. just game over on all that. That's Be, so fun. I did yeah. not know that you were a Democrat. I, so yeah. we, we talked politics a lot. I think a lot of people on this podcast know where I stand politically. But we, we me and Greg talk politics we, and if you talk to Greg about politics, you just would never think that he was ever a Democrat. And not, and listen, there's going to be Democrats that listen to this, and Jesus loves you. Yeah. <laughs> like we don't, we don't hate you. Uh, we were just talking a little bit about that, but yeah, that's so funny. I don't even know. I, I would have never thought yeah. that you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was. You know, nine eleven was an inside job, and George Bush knew all about it, and blah blah blah. Yeah. And it's like, you know. You know, these Republicans giving their crony friends big government deals so they can, you know, line their pockets with oil money and blah. You know, I was that guy, right? Anarchy and all this and just trying to be, you know, against the system. And like I had it figured out where these squares obviously haven't even bothered to, you know, look at it. And I I was. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so now, you know, that simultaneously as, as a backdrop has happened as well. So now here I'm at a company that I never would have been able to be at in the past, right. At, at a time that, you know, if it were up to me, I would have kept my old job. And I, if it were up to me, I would have kept drinking all this. And God has just orchestrated a series of painful yet not too painful experiences in my life, you know, being arrested and actually being saved in those senses, right. Um, being brought to the hospital and, Oh, uh, that's actually probably saved my life, right? I didn't, you know, and uh, none of those things were my choice. I wouldn't have done them. I I would have kept going, and I don't think I'd be here if it were up to me. Sure. Uh, years and years and years and years ago, over and over again. Um, and then since having having this experience now, this stretch of sobriety, uh, and having a few years behind, and then COVID right? It prepared me for really what we've done since. And this is where Christ has, has completely redeemed, um, me and my family and our life. And, and, um, 
you know, set us on a new path completely. Yeah. Um, you know, COVID happened and we pulled the kids. We're doing, we're doing homeschool because we're not, we're not going to mess around with any of that. We don't really know what's going on. Um, so Jenny started a homeschool group because, well, thanks to Greg being sober and consistent and, you know, all that that can mean for a family versus, versus the other option. Jenny's, uh, uh, um, uh, volunteering at church and doing uh, Sunday school and she's volunteering at church and doing mops mothers of preschool students and she ends up being the coordinator for that and I mean Jenny's fantastic I was only holding her back right and now she's she's confident that all is well at home her husband is okay and so she can focus and look at what she does right so now she's uh, when COVID happened, she's quick flip. She does everything on Zoom for mops all the mothers still had great experience she had speakers joining she just spun it up right away uh as some of some some people did when COVID happened um and then when we pulled the kids she's like well we not only are we going to homeschool we're going to do a group like there's a bunch of moms that i know from mops and elsewhere they want to homeschool too so we're going to get a group together and then we're going to find a place to do that and that's where the outpost came into play because jenny started her had her mops uh year-end girls party there because no one else would allow them in without a mask so she went and saw mark at the outpost said, fine, come on in. And then when she, when he met Jenny said, I've been praying for a school at some point. I think it's you. I think you're what I've been praying for. You're going to start a school here. She was like, oh my gosh, this is beyond perfect. And he offered up space and time for them to hold their homeschool, uh, group at the outpost twice a week. And they did that all year, um, through COVID and whatnot. And, um, you know, which led then to even more, unity and, and, and synergy and conversations around, you know, Brian and Courtney and branch and real quick, just to clarify for people say they might not know all these things that you're talking about yeah. outposts and that Thank kind of you, thing. Yeah. Um, outpost is like, uh, what is it? Probably like 35 minutes West of this Minneapolis. Um, like a wedding venue it's just it's this nice like barn place kind of on this farmland and um owned by by who owns that yeah mark and Kay. yeah and, and they're christians and so basically yeah just so people know the, the what the places that we're talking about that's like where they started doing this homeschool um group at this and it's a super nice place i go there because that's where the church is now but you're going to get into that um and then brian and courtney who you were just talking about brian was on the last podcast and we were talking about um we were talking about how should we do church and so we yeah i guess continue i just wanted to clarify that for those people all right so we had to take a little bit of a break a little bit of a cut here Greg had to go take a call. <laughs> we're back. So you were just talking about Branch Church. Well, kind of, no, the out, the Outpost Center, um, what Jenny's doing. Mm-hmm. So you want to get right back into yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. And so basically, you know, once I can get out of the way, um, you know, Jenny can, can flourish and fly. And she's, you know, she was poised uh, and ready when, when COVID happened to uh, say yes to homeschooling and to... Um, you know, inspire women around her and give them trust and confidence that she uh, and they could do this together and that, um, you know, they could um, they could achieve what they wanted and do good for their family. And so, you know, the outpost and, and Mark uh, definitely saw that and invested in that and made sure that Jenny had a place to bring um, these families and these children. Uh, you know, Brian Souter uh, began running chapel for the homeschool group, uh, opening up their week every week with 
uh, with some chapel and, you know, that I think brought him and Mark closer, certainly, uh, brought them together more frequently and allowed them to continue their talking about how the outpost would, you know, be involved in supporting the branch church plant and, and, um, you know, to see where all of that's gone now, it's been like 14, 15 weeks of, of, uh, services there and all sorts of, you know, uh, auxiliary activities is just a flourishing community and were you you were you and Jenny on the branch church launch team branch church launch team for gotcha. sure facilities cool. you know Jenny's been picking up uh, gigs over at the outpost as well so you know she'll take a wedding here and there so you know she's coordinating weddings and you know representing the the facility when the wedding comes to they have their own coordinator wedding coordinator and such yeah. but you know Jenny's there for the building and the facility and whatnot so our involvement as you know the facilities team uh, coordinators for the branch church you know launch team makes a lot of sense yeah. and uh and same with being here at the farm honestly i mean we we didn't know it at the time but um uh, the outpost you know they had purchased uh sunny hill farm right. uh with intentions of having it be a place for um you know sharing the love of jesus christ and the redemptive force of of christ and salvation and um allowing there to be a place for farm skills training uh, trade skills training and um, uh, all sorts of you know activities right and and uh, when it became available Mark called Jenny and said hey would you guys like to live at Sunny Hill Farm she said yes he said you sure you don't want to ask your husband first and she said no that's <laughs> he'll say yes to and it was obviously it was just such an amazing thing um, for us to to get that news and you know so we sold our house and we moved out to Sunny Hill Farm, and you know we're sitting here in the basement right now. Um, this is actually the future site of the Branch Homes Kids Ministry. So when we start doing Branch Homes, and one of the homes is Sunny Hill Farm, you know when when everyone gets together and we assemble and do this, and when the kids break out, they're going to come down here in the basement, and this is going to be where they have their have their session. So what a perfect place for all that. Yeah. So a little bit of clarification for people listening. Mark Halla owns Outpost Center. Just talked about that. Also owns this big farm out here, Sunny Hill Farms. Asked the Outpost you guys, does. The Outpost does. Yeah, the Outpost owns it. They asked you guys, do you want to live here? You're living here. And um, you guys are part of the Branch Church, um, new church plant here in the Minneapolis area. And you know Brian and Courtney are a part of that and Brian's been on this podcast before people kind of know who he is um and basically what they do is they have like we we meet on Wednesday nights for just church and then they're breaking out into these like they call them branch homes so it's like house church so there's gonna be three of them right out the gate and one of them is gonna be right here at this farm and in the basement where we're sitting right now and we've never I've never this is the most comfortable podcast I've ever done because we're sitting on the jean bags basically these big bean bags Man, jeans they're great <laughs> That's what, it's, i've never done a podcast like this but it's great and so down here is where we're going to be doing kids ministry and kids stuff during um branch homes and so you guys are going to be hosting hosting that so just to clarify some of the people live in madison and other all over the place that don't know what that all is so that's mm -hmm. just to clarify that yeah that's so that's our church community that's the outpost ministry and the umbrella of what of what that is and what's happening at the farm you know on last saturday we had a big event out here 
nearly 200 people came through yeah. to uh, see what's happening at the farm, uh, be inspired potentially to get involved potentially, uh, to lean in in any way that they want uh, out here on this on this land in order to you know create an awe-inspiring place yeah. to 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 bring people and share the love of Jesus, and um, yeah, it's just such a redemptive story and and truly i'm just blown away i I really honestly feel like jesus chases after me and that you know he's holding me and and loving me and taking care of me and my family um and i see miracles happening all around um and and to to be sitting here now you know just you know five years removed from a super super dark the darkest time in my life um is just a testament to his faithfulness, his mercy, his forgiveness. Um, you know, he is, uh, he is mending relationships, yeah. um, restoring trust uh, in our house. And, um, you know, at the same time, um, it's, you know, it's not, it's not just about us. It's, it's now we get to, you know, lean in and be a part of, something so much bigger even in our backyard uh something so much bigger you know down the road at at branch church and um you know it's incredible how he's if he's able to use me uh during this talk you know uh during my time at the farm here um to to relate to someone who might be going through something similar or who knows someone who's going through something similar to have hope that these obsessions that can destroy um you know, they can be lifted, they can be taken away in a miraculous way, um, I believe through faith. So um, that would be, you know, my prayer for anyone listening right now is that, you know, um, there's, you've never gone too far or lost too much or, you know, said so much or done too much that, that, um, that God can't turn it around and make it uh, and use it for good. Mm -hmm. You know, one, I wanted to, talk about one thing that we've talked about before is like say you like depression and I know a lot of people are going through that and I have friends and people that I know gone through that and suicide and all this stuff and it seems like more and more and more people are depressed and more and more people are committing suicide and even in the church that's happening and I know you have gone through that and what like you know you can go into as much detail as you want, but, uh, what, like, what's that been like? And have you, like, how has that played itself out in your mm-hmm. life? Well, I'll say a couple things. Thank you. I'll say a couple things specifically, just in case there's anyone out there listening that, that is dealing with exactly the same sort of thing, uh, as me. But when I, uh, when I first got sober back in 2005, uh, and, and moved downtown Minneapolis, you know, the, like I say, you know, that, that community is, is fantastic in so many ways. It's so much better, uh, than the gutter. It's so much better than homelessness. Uh, it's so much better than a treatment center. Um, you know, it is, it is a thriving community of, of sober individuals, um, who are looking out for one another. Uh, but there's, there's very little Christ to be found. In fact, it is, is specifically set aside not to offend anyone who would, who would, who would, remain outside of that community for just that reason. Uh, and so, you know, the steps of recovery are written in a way that uh, people who have a specific resentment against Jesus Christ uh, might, might not run away. They might actually still stay and get sober and have a truly, you know, spiritual trans- transformation, a spiritual experience. It can be generated um, 
in in concept without specifically naming Christ. And so I don't want to disparage any of that, but there's a lot happening in that community that is that is in my opinion now uh, coming, you know, uh, from this this standpoint of, you know, Jesus Christ only and Jesus first in my life that that I would say is is probably incorrect and I um, at least that's what I'm going through right now is, is a choice I made back in 2005 was to, uh, get on SSRIs and SSRIs, you know, you think Zoloft or whatever, these antidepressants, anti-anxiety, some sounds like maybe 15% of us adults, uh, have tried or are on currently a prescription for an SSRI. And th- these things are supremely effective. I mean, they work absolutely. It takes, you know, a month or so to kind of take your prescription. And then all of a sudden you just kind of feel a little bit different. Um, not depressed anymore. You know, you're not thrilled, but it's like, wow, you know, this is uh, a controlled state that is, you know, is, is kind of tightly bound uh, away from the extreme thrill, away from extreme despair. Uh, I'm safely in this in this zone, and it's a great way to um, uh, pull it together. I think it's probably helped a ton of people uh, get through what otherwise might have been an extremely terrible emotional uh period in their life, right? Um, I don't know any statistics about people who have uh, come off of them or, or set them aside and, and never come back or whatever it is. But, you know, at a certain point here in this particular stretch of, of sobriety, as well as this particular spiritual experience that I'm having right now, uh, I decided that I, I wanted to be free from that. And, you know, God um, nudged me and, and worked in, in my favor in a number of ways to make it very clear to me that this was a chance to do that. So like in mid August or sorry, mid July, um, I set those down. And so I'm currently going through, you know, a lot of the, uh, expected, you know, withdrawal or, um, you know, the symptoms that go along with, with, with putting that down. And, and, um, you know, it, it's been an interesting, you know, visceral, uh, you know, uh, encounter with those emotions that I haven't felt since starting, uh, on the SSRIs. Right. Uh, I tried many times since 2005 to, to jump off them, but didn't like the way it felt. So I jumped back on back and forth, back and forth. You know, I jump off them when things are great in my life on paper, there's no, you know, these direct threats aren't looming. And then, and then, um, you know, something comes up and it's like, okay, that's nerve wracking. Uh, and it's not going away, you know, like, oh, I need to get a new job or something like that. I, I just need that, that amount of, of stillness and confidence. And so I would lean again back on that crutch. And so going through that now, um, you know, there's, there's certainly a lot of emotions that I'm feeling maybe that I had intentionally tried to avoid for, for many years. Um, you know, and it's, it's the, I would say the guardrails or the infrastructure and the, the community that I have around me that's helping me do so confidently right now and move through, I think, the, the phase where I would have wanted to, to lean back in. Instead, I'm, you know, able to, um, to find new habits and new mechanisms for that stillness uh, inside and for that peace and that confidence uh, that comes from identifying first with Christ. You know, it comes from, you know, picking up my Bible more often. It comes from, you know, going to a Bible study. It comes from, you know, introducing and, and keeping Christ and prayer uh, in different parts of my life. Like we talk about basketball, right? I mean, right now, playing basketball with the guys on Tuesday nights uh, regularly for years and years has been fantastic. Um, over time, if you're not growing, you're dying. And so I, I do believe that if we are not at least slowly and from time and again, introducing more uh, uh, 
uh, Christ in that activity, you know, that, that it, it might not be a good thing. So we have to do it, right? So we have to pray. We, we pray before we play. We pray before we, when we close, before we eat. At the well, end, we, we try to. We try to. <laughs> we forget sometimes. We do. Yeah. You know, sometimes we're so hungry. And it hasn't been a part of the routine, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so introducing those things mm-hmm. is growing in a direction. And, yeah. and so from... And our conversations, a lot, I mean, a lot of times go towards, I mean, whatever. But just a lot of them are biblical we're just talking about what does this mean in the Bible? What does that mean? And then we'll argue about it for 30 minutes or just talk about what's going on at Sunny Hill Farms and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I think like you're talking about moving those conversations in the direction of the, all the things that you do to try to move it towards Christ. Is that's our that's our goal as Christians. It's like playing basketball, you can be like, yeah, that has nothing to do with Jesus, but it does because you're alive on Jesus's planet. And so you're doing something that can point towards Jesus. And we got to find a way to point it towards him mm-hmm. yeah exactly and just making sure that there's that we make room for him everywhere yeah. and and be intentional about it you know and and um you know it's it's obviously it starts with prayer it's it's wor- wor- praise and worship it's it's um you know actually saying out loud those 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 things that that we can you know here in america freedom of speech i'm allowed to i'm allowed to say these things and i should they should be said i do believe that you know, the, when when we speak those words, it's a real thing. You know, we are actually you know making room for Christ in the world when we say His name. You know, when we sing His name together, it is such a very powerful thing to have a room full of people, all with intentions uh, toward you know making room for Christ and and um, and setting ourselves aside in 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 His name. You know, um, so you know from a place of trying to hide my the drink the the you know to hide my backup alcohol to uh now f- searching for places where i can where i can say the name of jesus um and and incorporating that into my life is just is i've been completely flipped upside down and transformed again yeah yeah so you so the, you're talking about these the antidepressant pills basically and you're you got to the point where you're like I I want to be off these. I feel like God's calling me like to go, you know, to take that. And I think that's probably like a gigantic step. So then what, like when you, when you're on, I've never been on antidepressants. (laughs) Tell me if I'm wrong. I don't know how this all works, but there's some sort of like dependency on that to keep you stable. And when you get off of them, you, you probably have to find a way to continue to try to be stable, um, while not depending on these pills that, that keep you stable so what so in what ways what things have you done or what things are you going to do i i think about people could, that could be listening to this who, who maybe are trying to figure that out right now as christians and they're like how do you find stability and you know i don't know i, I do you yeah i mean I, I i'll talk about that i think it might be it to look at it a little bit differently it it for me it's not about trying to recreate a, a level of stability or to try and enforce some type of program that that creates that stability for me but more about just identifying uh, away from away from the the ups and downs that come with my emotions and my thoughts you know um you know we, we heard about it last night at service it's it's more for me about you know first uh uh identifying with christ um and then observing my thoughts in a way that I can say like, that's not me, you know, that's just my thoughts. Like those are, that's not me. 
uh, those are just emotions that I'm having right now. Um, and the difference between the, the spirit and the flesh and that battle in each person, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and finding a way to, to identify with something greater and outside of the world, um, at, at a root level so that I can observe these terribly emotional times in my life or right this really I had a really down day or you know uh wow that was such a thrill like that doesn't change me it doesn't change who I am what I am what I'm here for it doesn't change what Christ did it doesn't change what he's doing for the world um and I can I could take my my emotions uh my thoughts and all that in any any direction I want but Christ is still and he is there and and he's and uh and so from a from a standpoint of trying to um kind of break away from depression and anxiety and that sort of thing i mean i i i do believe that you know that everything has a purpose and so if 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 i happen to be a little bit more volatile or i happen to be you know i i've got some really highs and some low lows and and if, the, if that's me then that's me and it must be working for god's good it has to be uh, it must be his plan uh, for that to be me. And maybe it's a, a chance encounter with someone I have when I'm in a particular state that Christ has orchestrated for their salvation. And, and so I, I wouldn't want to get in the way of what I am and what I've become. And, um, yeah. uh, uh, it would, and I know that, and I know that Christ, uh, can, can do all things, you know, and that, and that there's, there's nothing that, that, uh, would require me to, to go back and do and, and, and get back on an SSRI like that, that would only be a choice that I would make to avoid the, uh, call it the pain of, of that situation, uh, where maybe that's the pain that Christ is, has presented to me that I need to go through in order, in order to become what he would have me become. Um, so it's a very faithful, very faithful place I happen to be in so I can look at it that way. And I understand some, some folks have ex more extreme situations. I think I'm kind of a baby in a way. Like, you know, I, I don't like the way that feels, you know, is there a bottle around? Um, you know, so that's kind of my MO. Uh, it's, you know, is there anything I can use to soothe me for a minute so I don't have to actually do the work that, uh, the, in, the inner work that it takes to become someone who's ready to respond to life? Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a bit of a, a challenge but I, when I'm thinking clearly about it, it, it can be, it can be a, almost a mission from, from God in a way, you know, yeah. especially if you think you're, if you think he created you and he loves you, he's chasing after you and, and, um, and that that is all true. You know, these things that are hard for you in your life, these things that are, that are challenges for me in my personal life are, are truly my calling from the Lord to handle that, right? And I don't believe that I'm, that I'm a speck of dust on an inconsequential planet screaming through the universe and that my life might mean nothing. I don't believe that at all. You know, I, I actually believe that you and I and all of us are, are here at this time for a very specific reason. Uh, and certainly God has plans for us if we get out of the way 
he will blow us away with what he has in store. And so that's really what I'm able to do now in this, in this stretch of sobriety is see more clearly, even looking back on my past, I call it, it's a cumulative thing where you, you don't, you don't go back to zero with, with Christ. You know, he, he can teach you through your sin. He's taught me through my sin and brought me here and there. And now in this, in this moment of clarity, I'm able to kind of lean on all of that he's taught me, um, in order to, you know, in order to just, um, make his, make his salvation more of the story. Yeah. Right. Cause I've had, like I, I started off talking about, you know, all this, all this potential victimhood that I could have claimed, you know, and put my flag down and created a poor Greg stand and had everyone stop by and say hi and talked about, about poor mm-hmm. Greg. Right. I mm-hmm. could have done that. <laughs> yeah. But this could have um, been the poor Greg podcast. Have fun staying poor, Greg. <laughs> yeah, right, right. That's what we could have done, but, we, but we're not doing that. No. Yeah. Right. It is a, it's an amazing story of salvation and redemption. And um, it truly just, um, you know, beyond my imagination, really what he what he does. Right. You know, um, I think I think a good example. Uh, well, it's interesting. you're like, I feel like a baby because it's like. I got to get my next fix. I got to get, I got to need a bottle. I need something to soothe me over because I don't want to feel this. I think what you're describing is human sin nature. Like we're, we're all sinners and we all deserve to go and burn in hell. And that's what we deserve. And it's like, we're perpetrators of sin. We're victims of sin, but the bottom line is we're defined by sin. And regardless of if it's depression, alcohol, sexual sin, suicide, whatever it is, like all these things are, are sin and rooted in sin. And, we're all just trying to get our next fix and our, and we're trying to get something to sue this over. And the, and you're, you're saying like, nothing's going to do that besides Jesus. And that's the bottom line as a Christian and what we, and, and you're like, um, all and, and through working through all those things, God's going to use the horrific, disgusting thing that is sin and make good out of it. Cause that's what he does. He brings life out of death. And, I, and as an example, I think like last night we were at church and Brian at the end was like, listen, if you guys, if anybody here needs prayer, like stand up and people are just going to come and pray. And like, we got to pray for each other. Cause that's what we're, we're here for. And, and, and you stood up. I don't know if you want me to say this, okay. <laughs> but you stood up I stood and up he was there, like, yeah. I, you're like, I need prayer. And, and I'm like, you know, I don't know what you need a prayer for, but Ultimately, it's probably because something's, you know, whatever. Everybody needs prayer. You, you got some sort of sin, some sort of thing going on in your life that sucks and you and you need help. And as a young person, me, I'm 22 and you're 42, 41, and I'm sitting down and you're standing up. And I, and I literally last night, I was like, what the crap is wrong with me? Because <laughs> you're old and wiser and smarter and you're like, I need help. And I'm sitting there like, I don't need to stand up. I don't need to stand up. And so like, like you said, the, the things that are of pain to you now are examples of Christ's vulner, like vulnerability, truth, and grace to people around you. They don't even, you can't even see. And it was that way to me last night. And it started making me think, whoa, whoa, why, why don't you need to stand up, Annie? You're probably the most screwed up person in this room. So like you should be standing up <laughs> on, on paper, the balcony. On paper. On no, paper. Yeah. Yeah. On paper. You should I'm be up kidding. on the balcony. Um, like people should. Yeah. But that, that's, that's like, that's the amazing, I think part of Christianity and, and growth and all that kind of thing is like 
that your worst weaknesses and your sinful definition of like you through Christ's redemption becomes what makes you like like beautiful as a human being and so I think that that's fantastic like an hour and a half into this do you have anything else you want to like finish off with or whatever or any final words for the people or I don't know (laughs) anything you want to say well um, no I I I really don't I mean I think um, you know my, my personal story is is a little bit of this and a little bit of that and I think you know, if anyone can relate uh, to one part or another, I think that's fantastic. Um, you know, just praying for everyone that's listening that Christ, you know, it becomes more and more real in your life, uh, more and more tangible, and that He manifests more, uh, more of His grace and goodness uh, in your life. And just praying for uh, everyone and their families and their children that um, that you know this story might might uh, encourage you or might. Uh, help get you unstuck if you're in a spot where, you know, maybe you couldn't relate or something like that. I really just pray that that's what this is all about. And I'm, you know, really glad to be on your podcast and share my story. It's awesome. Yeah. Andy. Yeah. Do you want to, you want to pray for people like pray, pray us out of this? I'm sure people are listening and probably need some prayer. So yeah. do you want to pray? Yeah, let's pray. Great. Uh, Heavenly father, uh, thank you so much for all that you have done. And, you know, we sit here now and we thank you today in full faith, uh, for everything that you have already established that is yet to come. And we thank you for the miracles that are coming. And we thank you now for all the healing that you're doing. And um, I pray that um, those of us here that are listening, um, that we uh, remember to lean on you, Father, for uh, all of the goodness that you have for us. And we remember that um, you know, our designs and our plans and our actions and everything that we take in order to, uh, uh, to do good and help uh, ourselves and the people around us that, that, we, that we understand that it is you who provides uh, for us uh, the ability to do these things, that is you uh, who has already done the work and achieved and, and, uh, and won the battle for us and that we can uh, be glad for that now. We can rejoice today already. Uh, in the midst of uh, even some of the struggles and pain that we're having, um, that we can start to identify more and more with you inside us and not the circumstances of our current situation, um, and to, to have faith that, that you are there uh, even in the fire, that you are there uh, to bring us out and to encourage us to share uh, our stories. And so uh, thank you so much for preparing me uh, for removing the obsession uh, to drink and removing um, the obsession uh, to destroy and instead you know uh, preparing me um, taking away that obsession and and preparing me to testify to your goodness and your salvation um, so thank you father for this chance to uh, to speak and you know I pray for everyone uh, listening that they would be touched and uh, that they would uh, learn to love you more Amen. 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 Greg, thanks for doing this. Thank you, Andy. This is great for everybody listening. If you know Greg, in two days, it's five years. So congratulate him. Amen. That's great. And that's awesome. We should celebrate that stuff. Anyways, thanks, you guys, for listening. Thanks for... I mean, this was great. This is one of my favorite ones that I've done. So I love this. Um, Make sure to like, subscribe, follow. Send the stuff to your friends. You guys know the drill. We'll see you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.